Another episode of GEQ Speaks, your go-to platform for insightful conversations, captivating stories, and thought-provoking discussions. GEQ is a series of experiences, and we're just making sense of that as we go along. That is what we're doing here, one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and let's dive into our episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of GUQ Speaks. I'm your host today, Ibrahim Absar, joined by my fellow co-host, Pragyan Acharya. And we have a very special guest over here with us today, Luigi Alkeniasis. Um, and we are very excited for, a, um, for an interesting conversation over Doha Debates Week. Um, thank you, Ibrahim. Actually, this is Georgetown Debate Week, and this is an initiative of the Office of Student Life and the English and Arabic debate teams on campus where we're trying to bring in debaters in English and Arabic from D.C. and engage them in exhibition debates with our debaters in Doha and also in a lot of other immersive programming that can like really um, create some sort of contact and meaningful exchange between the students on that campus and this campus. And one of the other goals is to really give back to the debating circuit in Doha, and this includes the schools and universities that are debating in Qatar right now under the patronage of um, Qatar debate. And in order to do so, and in order to also enrich the Georgetown Debate Week, um, we invited Luigi. So I'll give a brief introduction of who Luigi is. Mm. So Luigi is from the Philippines, and he, gra- his, he completed his undergraduate education from Ateneo de Manila University, and he's currently doing his PhD in economics from the University of Philippines, Diliman. And Luigi was actually the f- part of the first Filipino team to make the finals of the World's Universities Debating Championship. And for some context, the World's Universities Debating Championship, or WUDC, is the largest debating tournament in the world with over 200-odd universities participating. And it has been going on for well over 45 years now. So mm-hmm. being the first Filipino team to reach the final is really an achievement. But alongside that, it, it was also the first Asian team to reach the finals of that tournament in probably 20-odd years. Um, since then, Philippines has been making a final appearance for the past three years. But yeah, that's Luigi. He was also the finalist in the Asian Championship this year and is part of the team that will be deciding the topics for the World Championships in 2024. Um, so we have Luigi here. He's offering some capacity building sessions for our debaters from both DC and Qatar. Um, and he's also setting the topics for the Georgetown Debate Week. And he's also offering tailored classes for school students in Doha. And this is really our initiative to reach out and give back to the vibrant schools debating community in Doha. So maybe it's great if we can hear from Luigi, and I think a great place to start is what you think so far of the Georgetown Debate Week, how your experience has been here, and if you could elaborate on that. All right. Uh, Thank you very much, Pragyan and Ibrahim, for inviting me on this podcast. Um, Well, this week has been phenomenal, actually. Um, I got to meet the DC and Doha debate teams. I got to meet a lot of the students, uh, a very well-knit community in the Georgetown campus here, and I also got to give... Um, apart from my own personal story and talking with everyone who attended my session yesterday, I am very excited to um, also interact with a lot of uh, student communities here, different organizations. I met the Philippine Student Association uh, members and also even high school students who I will meet later 
um, from Philippine School Doha and hopefully other um, high school campuses. Um, so far, I've been moderating, facilitating the debates. Uh, it's been a very fulfilling experience, a very tiring one. Um, but I think part of this effort has always been to be more critical, be more engaged, and, and, and teach a culture of debate and, and spread it more and get used to the habit of doing that. And uh, this week, I, I think has been a really immersive experience for that opportunity. Thank you, Luigi. And in my introduction of you, I really gave sort of the ends of your debating journey, reaching the world's finals and the Asian finals. But maybe for our audience, if you could like elaborate when you started debating, the ups and downs, and how you reached where you eventually are today. I started debating all the way back in 2013 when I was fresh out of grade school. I was recruited by the captain of high school debate back then for my graduation ceremony. And it was actually an accident for me to get into that team. I Initially in grade school, I was a math nerd. I would always join math competitions. But for my last grade school year, I was asked to join a competition again, but I couldn't join a math competition again because I joined previously. So there's an eligibility rule for some reason. So I asked, what competition is left? And they said, the extemporaneous speaking competition. And me, with no public speaking experience at all, was scared, shy, but I was still game. And so I joined the competition, lost terribly, felt terrible about myself, but my teachers um, somehow continued to encourage me and I still wanted to keep on trying it out because I knew it was an activity that was very different and very interesting and uh, spiked a lot of curiosity in me. And so I decided, let's try it out. We joined the debate team, the high school debating team, and I kept on going to training sessions throughout the entire summer and I guess the rest is history from there. It's uh, it's really interesting to see how your um, introduction to debating was like happenstance. And uh, uh, I, I, I would probably say that m most of the debaters that I've met in life, usually their introduction to debating has also been, you know, uh, oftentimes like coincidental and uh, um, yeah. like usually by chance and stuff. Uh, but there is, I think, that one element in debating that sort of like like really intrigues or piques your curiosity, right? And then uh, you, it like really gets the ball ro rolling and then you're totally like intrigued with, uh, with the art of debating and stuff. So what was that one factor that really appealed to you and how did you, um, you know, immerse yourself in the art of debating? For me, I think it's that the intellectual activity of debating in inspires a lot of drive to keep on learning. Uh, because compared to other sports, you feel that you're inadequate because you are not physically good enough. Mm. You haven't trained enough yet. But the training in debate is something very accessible to a lot of students. Just reading more, being more knowledgeable about the world, having more discipline when you are writing out your arguments and your speeches. This process um, was very, very exciting for me. I just wanted to learn more about the world. My first topics were on social media, terrorism, and of course, they're so vastly different yeah. from each other, but yet somehow closely relatable because you see it on the news, but you don't really get invested into it until you really look and read these articles, read what's happening and listen to the stories of others and make those arguments yourself and you realize, oh, there's a lot more to unpack here. And... I got excited about that. I wanted to learn more and I wanted to communicate that more more confidently too. And that's, that's, that's how I got into debating and got addicted, I guess, to debating too. So would you say that there wasn't any moments where you thought, maybe it's time for me to step back, maybe it's time for me to discontinue? 
maybe tough times, maybe moments of failure that really made you question that sort of commitment that you had towards debating and improving yourself intellectually? Uh, of course, there are so many of those oppor- uh, opportunities. to. Of, I say it's an opportunity for growth because I don't want to frame it as an opportunity to quit because, of course, there will be all of those downsides. And that is because debate, because you're so vulnerable speaking up front, you also open yourself up to the toxicity that debating can bring, that you are just dumb that your argument is dumb, that because your argument is dumb, you and everything you will try to do is also dumb in this activity. And when I was starting off, uh, admittedly, uh, the Philippine debating community and even my own organization back then wasn't perfect. And no organization can ever be perfect. And no coach or teacher can also be perfect. And some experiences shape you. And one of those experiences for me where I really felt that, oh, I should just quit. I should just give up, was that I would sometimes hear the same comment from my coaches that I was misclashing, that I wasn't making good arguments, that I just didn't get it right. And sometimes they would shout at me. Sometimes I would hear them backstab me. And sometimes I would just think, no one supports me in this community. No one supports me in this team. And it's such a disheartening experience when you go through those difficulties as a kid in high school where you just want to give up and i guess for me there's no easy resolution to that it takes years to undo those problems but for the one anchor point for me to keep on going albeit imperfectly but still on its own striving way was to find people that i cared about that supported me which was for one, my parents, my family were very supportive of me. I'm an only child. But two, also the debaters I went through all of these difficulties with who were always just not just teammates, but some of the best friends that I've made throughout the entire years. And that that's the best part, honestly. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, you mentioned the uh, the aspect of, um, you know, your, your coach playing a very important role in terms of, you know, keeping that drive in, uh, like, like inherently, you know, um, enlightened out there in, in within you uh, and uh, the fact that like just like any other sport like obviously the role of a coach is like really important in terms of um, you know keeping that drive running so um, reflect on that a little bit like how how did that experience turn out to you and I, and I assume that you've worked as a coach yourself now that you train and tutor you know high, um, high school students and other debaters potentially so what are some of the uh, some of the experiences that you've picked up along the way that uh, you now try emulating in your debating uh, and coaching style uh, that you really wish to you know you know see um, other people emulate as well in the future of course I'll start with one short anecdote of my favorite mentor and coach and inspiration in my life uh, has always been Sharmila Parmanand um, who was one of my coaches when I was much younger in the world schools debating team and even before she was my coach one of the first tournaments I ever joined in college debating I was a judge and one of the rounds I participated in, there was a dinosaur that I made lose. A, a dinosaur meaning an old debater who's still debating and still in this sport for some goddamn reason. But at this point, I was competing in this tournament. And as a judge, I made them lose. They were mad. And they got mad at me. I, as a kid, cried about it. And one of the only figures at the time to really comfort me at that moment of difficulty was Charms. And 
she told me to keep on staying, to keep on trying it out, and to keep on finding people that would support me in this journey. And she was there throughout everything. And I love that. And other coaches like Mahar Mangahas was also with me very, very early on. And these were formative experiences for me because these coaches taught me not to just get better at debate, but to be more loving and kind. Which I think debating also somewhat encourages you to do because we're not just making better arguments to beat out other people, but we make arguments to be more humble and kinder and more critical. And that particular inspiration to be more compassionate is what drove me to want to teach. I started out teaching when I was a captain and our coaches were not as present in high school. One of my first students was David Africa, who would be my teammate later on in college. And I vividly remember how tiring and scary it was to teach because I didn't feel qualified. But I knew that the drive that they would have was a drive that I used to have when I would connect with Sharms and Mahar back then because they'd keep on pushing me to move on forward and get better at debate because they're so supportive. And I wanted to share that support and continue that culture as well uh, moving on. So that's why I coach. I still coach the Ateneo High School team until now. Uh, still come back every now and then because that's a community that you can never really, really leave because of how those memories are so formative for the rest of your life. Um, Luigi, can you also sort of tie all of these reflections in to what it really means to be the pioneer or one of the pioneers of debate in Philippines and also the Asia region as a whole, what it means to be the first part of the first Filipino team to reach the finals of the World Championship and many other tournaments too, and to continually do that well in a space that traditionally was not really open to, say, people from our part of the world. I totally acknowledge this responsibility because, to be real, this entire journey of making it to the world final is so surreal, but also is a product not just of our hard work, but to be honest, it's also just luck. And I'll be honest about that, that it is complete luck that out of all of the years of Asian teams and Philippine teams specifically that I've heard trying and trying again to work hard to make it to the world final, all of the people I looked up to before that have always worked so hard to make it there but have never really made it and never got their shining moment, I, I knew that this moment that when we made the world final, there was like a padlet that they made for us like where they, all of our alumni were making messages about how long it took and all the efforts that it made. The, the return of investment, you can really only realize it when you take into stock everything that's happened. And I realize that this isn't a solution, that it's still going to be a very unsafe space for a lot of Asian debaters moving onward. We don't know if progress will actually happen in the World Universities Debating Championship. And we don't know if racism will ever stop. There will still be one judge that is still gonna laugh at another Asian debater when they're having a particular accent and making a particular speech. Like how we experienced it as Filipinos going back then. Like even from the Philippines, the teams that like like teams that we're from, our backgrounds, 
we're from the most prestigious private university in the Philippines. We're from private high schools. Even in the Philippines, we are so privileged. And we acknowledge that so much because it's only when you are so honest about the inequalities of debating when you really understand how much more we have to do. And for me, I translate this obligation into teaching and giving back and being so active in going and reaching out to communities that usually don't get tapped into, which is why now um, I've really been so invested in asking communities to let me talk to their high school communities, not just the university debaters who probably already have some coaches and have some funding relative to others, but those communities that don't always get tapped into. In the Philippines, we just recently had our first in-person Philippine tournament in like three years since the pandemic. And that, that's crazy to me because I met some high school debaters that are so intrigued, so interested, so curious for the sport of debating that I really hope that we continue this, that we try to reach out to them because they're also equally kids like us. They, they, they have dreams and aspirations too. And it's a, it's a very scary world out there with debate. It's scary to go international. It's scary to face all of the white people in this world. But I think if you have role models that were really honest and transparent and really care for others, that's where it begins. It starts when you reach out. And I love that. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a very, um, you know, interesting way to put it. And uh, I can obviously see that you really have an eye for, you know, talent and potential. Uh, and the fact that you've been here for like a couple of days and you've met around with, deba with debaters who are part of the, you know, uh, Doha debating circuit. Uh, what's what's the potential you see over here? And um, like, what are your some what are some of your some of your reflections on, um, you know, uh, the basically the debating community over here in Doha, because Doha has invested a lot in terms of, you know, um, Doha debates and, you know, other initiatives that uh, really, you know, instill the art of public speaking in the in, in the local community. So what are some of your takeaways on, um, you know, um, this this culture that is that is being inculcated in Doha? How promising do you feel like it is um, in terms of contributing to, you know, Doha's long-term success um, and um, basically the future of debating in Doha? Yeah, no, first, I think it's so inspiring to see that the Arabic debate last night had such an incredible attendance from everyone in the community. I think even the effort to work at uh, including us, visitors that are not from Doha, to still participate in the debate through the live simultaneous uh, translation was incredible to me because there is a real community here that is not only English-centric, that it's really grassroots, that it's building the language and it's also building the culture of debating for people that don't traditionally get to speak um, as good English as everyone else in the world because that's a real barrier that we face in English debating in the world university stage. The second thing that I also took away from this community is that it's very, very, very passionate. I'm sure that a lot of these topics that we're covering international relations, diplomacy, education that we've covered throughout the week of Doha Debate Week are, are so intimately connected to some of the real lived experiences of many of the students on this campus. For, for me, it's so surreal and so humbling because 
you only get to recognize your own privilege, but you also get to recognize that these arguments are so real that we're not just making it for the intellectual sport of um, you know, making us feel good about ourselves and making us feel smart. But when audience members are clapping and they're cheering on and they're so engaged in listening, I, when I was in this circuit and I was hearing that happening during the debate, I knew that they were so invested because it's so real to all of them. And in and, and that culture, in a safe space, formal setting for debate, is so critical when it's so easy for us to just hate one another or just shout at one another, which would otherwise happen if debate was not the platform in which we would encourage people to speak up. And, and I hope that the community here continues to foster that more. And I'd love to always encourage that in all the communities around the world because there are many communities that are, of course, suppressed, that they don't get to feel that they get to speak out all the time. But the community here is so safe. They're so encouraging and so healthy in wanting its debaters to um, be free, to always speak up to authority, speak up to power, to do the things that us debaters um, aspire and say that we do, but really translate into advocacy and real critical efforts in this world. Because that's what it's about, right? We're not just here for the sport. We're here to inspire people to be more confident in being leaders for the future. And that starts in school. It starts in debate. It starts in healthy discussion. And I love that in this community. Luigi, if you were to f elaborate on that and maybe um, explain to us what sort of are the ma maybe three main takeaways that you have gotten from debating, your debate journey, your experiences that you've sort of tried to keep with yourself as you move on with life, career, academics, or whatever, um, what would those be? The first would be that you will be lost in this life. You will get lost and you will always feel that you are an imposter in any space that you will enter. And it will be very discomforting. It will be very scary. But in spite of this, you should actively turn to your friends, to the people that you love, and the people that really genuinely support you and walk with you through your struggles. And debating reveals that vulnerability. It, it, it reveals the insecurities, the deepest insecurities you have about who you are, where you come from, and how much work you are putting in. And, and I think that in life, we can only be compassionate to one another. That's the first one. Being compassionate, being kind, and reaching out to your friends when you're lost. The second takeaway is that debating is a sport that is for the privileged, but it's one that we have to always reach out and make a better place in community because the rules are not in place. They're not, in, they're not set in stone. They shouldn't always be the case that certain teams and institutions should always win. But it's not only that an Asian team winning defines success, but it's that we should create cultures that withstand the test of time. And that starts from really pushing our administrations, our schools, and reaching out to communities 
because they have their own stories to tell and we can't dictate that for them. In my teaching life, my most humble realization is that I shouldn't impose on communities and impose and tell them how they should debate. You should listen to them first, be humble in teaching, and allow them to also make themselves present because they also have their own needs that you can only really understand and um, fulfill if you communicate with them sincerely and with a genuine heart. And the last takeaway I would have is that, and I will say this because we are in the oldest Jesuit university in America and I am from the oldest Jesuit university in the Philippines. I think magis, the concept of magis and being a person for others, striving for excellence is not one of being smart and being smart so that you could degrade others and be mean to others, but it is to be smart so that you could be responsible and be kinder, be more compassionate, so that you could actively fight injustice and conquer the evil in this world. Because evil is so real. It is so real even in our close proximity to one another. But in debate, which can get very toxic and very heated and be such a sport that is so unwelcoming to the shyest and smallest Filipino kid out there, like myself when I was young, but not anymore because I'm very, very tall right now and I'm very, very smart right now. I think that kindness and compassion has to be the driving force for all of our advocacy. It has to be the driving force of our teaching because you cannot teach if you're in it only for your self-interest or for something that is not really genuine. And, I, and my advice for everyone that wants to coach or wants to start their own debating team is that you have to start first with reflecting, why are we in this activity? Why, why do we debate? Why are we doing this at all? And that starts from a compassionate heart and being very active in fighting the problems that we face. That's pretty nice, much nice, it. Nice. Um, on that note, I would like to you know, explore the human behind the accolades a uh, little bit more and, uh, and ask, where does Luigi go on from here, from this point onwards? Because I know you're pursuing a PhD yes. and um, you're also like at the same time still very much you know, um, integrated into, into the debating circuit. So what are your, uh, some of your aspirations for the future? Where do you see yourself in the next, I'd say, five to ten years? Of course. Um, well, first, I would say that I, as I finish all of these adjudication core activities where I'm going across the world and giving these workshops and all of that, I've reflected more on how I want to transform and leave debating in a, on a healthy note. And I've really worked on these past years trying to mentor some of my younger students to also be coaches as well and pass on the torch. That's the first initiative that I really worked on doing um, because I, I realized that there's a temptation when you get older that you want to be more over-controlling and you want to make sure that everything is set in place. But the temptation can also be very toxic and I very, very am active in self-correcting myself on that. The second thing in my personal life, I'm really working towards trying to become a better student in my PhD and re realizing what a research initiative I want to do so I'm applying to different schools in the U.S. and 
also in Asia where I want to pursue and finish my dissertation. Uh, and I also plan on pursuing a JD program as well as a consequence because I want to um, get into international economics and international law. And these activities, these things, um, feel so closely related to all of these teaching, debate activities that I've already been doing for a long time because I've already been reading up on these topics for so long and I've been very excited about it too. So um, I'll admit I'm still kind of lost and still kind of scared, but in the process of preparing for the LSAT, preparing for the GMAT or the GRE again and again and writing all of these transcripts and preparing to think about what research papers I will go and write in the future, it can get very taxing and get very, very frustrating a lot. But I think... If you start from a point of passion, which for me is the debate end of it and the reading end of it and how I got curious about the topic of economics and international economics and international law, then it becomes a little bit less scary. You don't eradicate the scare. You don't eradicate that fear. But you become more comfortable with who you are becoming because I realize that my life will not be completely defined by my career. But it should be, to some extent, be an obsession that I will immerse myself in. And I'm very excited for that next stage because I think debate pushes you into being uncomfortable. So I'm so excited to be uncomfortable in the next stage too. And I hope to um, update you guys on a future episode where I could also give those updates maybe five to ten years when you guys are the top podcast in the world by then. Yes, yes. (laughs) I guess, Luigi, one final question to like sort of wrap up our conversation today um, would be, for anyone listening, what would be one thing that you want them to take away from this conversation? One reflection that you should take away is that kindness is not natural. Compassion is not natural. It is cultivated through years of effort and through years of difficulty and trial. In my life, it's quite easy to be unkind when you're a coach. It's quite easy to be mean when you are in a position of power and responsibility. It's quite easy to abuse that power when you're very, very, very influential. I realized that more as the years have gone by. I was popular in high school. I was popular in college. And you somehow become even more popular as you become more internationally like acclaimed. And that will happen in debate for a lot of you. It will happen because you spend more time and you feel that you deserve more because you work at it. And of course you deserve it. But I think the true test of having power is not having the inclination to control it and hold it. You have to be kind to share it and be so humble to reach out and genuinely seek out the improvement in other people because you care about them too. Because you know that your own efforts were not possible without the efforts that previous generations have painstakingly made to be the case. And acknowledging that with a genuine heart of gratitude, kindness, compassion is always the first step in making this possible. So please, be guys, everyone listening, be kind to one another. Be kind to yourself and be there for each other when the time arrives. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, my key t- takeaway from this um, from this conversation is absolutely the fact that 
um you know success is not final failure is not fatal and it's uh, absolutely the courage to continue that that counts and that keeps you um you know going throughout um and on that note luigi thank you very much for um you know joining us over here today and you know inspiring fellow members of the georgetown community um there's a lot to digest in the in the in the reflections that you uh, shared with us here today uh, and i hope that the uh, that the wider georgetown community has really you know takes away um the fruits of this conversation and um, you know applies them to to more um you know relevant aspects of, uh, of of their academic or like you know career journeys and so on and so forth uh and thank you so much for your uh, you know um time and your vision for our podcast i would definitely love to have <laughs> you back in 5 or 10 years uh for another conversation of and course. see how much we've moved on and grown from that point uh but thank you so much for joining us here today and thank you pragyan for hosting this episode with thank me thank you thank you Thank you for tuning in to this episode of GQ Speaks. We hope you've gained valuable insights and inspirations from our conversation today. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to follow us on our Instagram page at GQ_Speaks and be sure to leave a review on Spotify to show your support.